Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Indoor Air Quality. I'm your host, Kyle Knappenberger. In today's show, we will be discussing chemical exposure or poisoning events that occur and how they can impact a person's life. Our guest will be Audrey Hoodkiss from Ecology by Design in Los Angeles, to whom this topic has greatly impacted her life and career over the past 25 years. She has helped individuals with MCS navigate their lives while simultaneously dealing with the same challenges. Audrey has turned her negative experiences into a positive by sharing what she has learned with others. Multiple chemical sensitivity is a term for people who suffer from multi-symptom illnesses as a result of coming into contact or sharing a space with an airborne chemical agent or other pollutants. Reported symptoms can range from minor things like mild headaches, itching, rashes, runny noses, all the way to things that are much more life-threatening like a seizure. Exposure events can come from or be triggered by pesticides, paints, cigarette smoke, volatile scented products like perfumes, candles, really anything with a fragrance, aerosols, personal health care products, carpeting, especially new carpeting or pressed wood products that have VOCs, formaldehydes, and adhesives in them, cleaning compounds, or really any other volatile or synthetically derived chemicals. And now I would like to welcome our guest, Audrey Hoodkiss, to the show. Audrey, thank you for coming on. And could you please take us through your journey of how you got involved in air quality concerns in general, and more specifically, those dealing with multiple chemical sensitivity? Okay, Kyle, thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, it really was an unfolding process. It started out as a practical and ethical response to having been poisoned by pesticides. You know, it was a very dramatic time in my life. I had woken up one morning and had what I thought was a normal day. I was going to be talking to a publisher about writing a book. And on my way to to do this wonderful thing, I stopped by a furniture store that was having a sale on wicker furniture, just what I was looking for, a new wicker headboard. And so I went into the furniture store, and an hour later, I was literally crawling in on my stomach into my apartment, barely breathing, and was uh, administered cortisone by my neighbor, who was a doctor, almost immediately. Did you ever find out the details of the exposure event? What had happened was that the store had fumigated for termites. They had a tent on that store for three days, which is what they do legally in California. And um, the fumigant was inside, of course, and then the tent was removed. And uh, apparently they thought it was okay to let customers come in. That is really not the case. The particular fumigant that they were using, the pesticide, was methyl bromide gas, which had been declared by the World Health, World Health Organization, WHO, in the 1980s as responsible, primarily responsible for creating the hole in the ozone layer. It was so toxic and so destructive that it was, you know, destroying the protective layer of ozone over the over the earth. So. Technically, the uh, company uh, that was applying the the, the uh, pesticide, as well as the company, the furniture store, was doing something illegal at that time. So methyl bromide is still out there, as far as I I'm aware of, and is still being used illegally again. So this was the key turning point then. For me, it was 
from that level of exposure, which was about an hour, my central nervous system and my immune system basically went into a collapse. And I was told by my doctors that I had just, you know, had to find doctors initially, that I probably wouldn't recover, that I had brain damage and lots of other systems issues, uh, internal systems issues. So I took the next year to the next year to two years to try to regain my health, and I did so through a variety of methods, not the least of which was relying on my body's natural ability to heal itself. I'm definitely a firm believer in the mind-body, and the protocols that the medical community was providing for me actually overwhelmed my immune system, overwhelmed my body, so I withdrew from those, and I spent a, a the rest of the last two years working with myself in a way that did did restore me to a level where I could resume some level of activity. While I was in the course of learning about my illness, I discovered that there were a lot of other people that were suffering from something that I had just discovered was called multiple chemical sensitivity. And the doctors that I had been working with and supporting me during this process, began to observe that how I was recovering and also the information that I was bringing to their practice that would help their patients. What they had asked me to do, if I, would, if I was willing to, which of course I was, was to share what I was learning and meet with their patients and talk to them about the issues around multiple chemical sensitivity. So that's how I became a consultant. My doctors referred me, referred them to me initially. And all this led to your company, Ecology by Design? Give a little bit of a, I have to give a little bit of a background of how I got to Ecology by Design, which was that I was a social worker before that, and then it all came together. You know, what I was doing, because I did environmental interior design, did nutritional consulting, and I did, I became what I coined, there was nothing out there at the time when I, this was 1989, early 90s, and there was like one person in the country I could talk to was, I coined my own phrase, I called myself an environmental health consultant, and that sort of covered the basis. So what were you and Ecology by Design doing in these early days? It was basically an education tool, and as a result of that, I went to the, the Los Angeles, uh, we're always ahead of everybody, right, L.A.? So we had the first, Los, An Los Angeles held the first Echo Expo in the country, also somewhere in the mid-1990s at the, at the convention center. And I set up a booth and a whole bunch of stuff and was part of a panel of discussion. So the whole environmental movement seemed to be starting at the grassroots level then. And um, I, I got a lot of people interested in what I was doing through that as a venue. And indoor air quality was the primary issue and was from the very beginning because if you didn't have your indoor air, if you didn't have your home in such a way, there, that was your safe haven. There was no place else to go. And so 
that has always been my main focus and helping people figure out how to, uh, you know, heal their indoor environment, mitigate things, and bring what was then a very rudimentary HEPA air filter uh, into their environment. This was then a period of new understanding or discovery in the field? It really was like, you know, the dark ages when we think about it. And you use this as an opportunity to educate and be an advocate for folks dealing with chemical sensitivities? I guess, you know, Kyle, I was always an activist of sorts. I had been a social worker for 13 or so years with the Los Angeles County uh, Children's Services Bureau. Um, I was an advocate for children with, you know, who were abused and neglected and were part of the juvenile court system. At the same time, I was very interested in nutritional issues because I had allergies as a child, so I was studying nutrition, and that sort of overlapped and helped me, um, you know, with the, you know, the caseload that I had as a social worker. Also, I was interested in interior design because I always felt and I believe that having a beautiful, healthy interior environment lifts your spirits. It's a vibrate. It's a healthy vibration. It it changes everything. So after the pesticide poisoning, which my doctors always said to me, Audrey, it's a poisoning, not an exposure. After the pesticide poisoning, and I was really down to the count, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do now? How, how am I going to live? Uh, I need to be able to go back out into the world. I need to be able to go back to the design center, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when I started researching and finding out about chemical sensitivity, the toxins in our environment, which were everywhere. And um, again, as I mentioned before, when I started to get better, my doctors started referring their patients to me. I have wonderful letters of recommendation, which my doctors gave me so I could go out and become a consultant and help others in, in a similar situation. You have quite the history. What were your specializations and priorities for ecology by design when helping and educating back then? Ecology by design evolved from all that. I became a specialist truly at that time because there were no specialists in specifying environmentally safe building materials, low non-toxic furnishings, and products for the home. Indoor air quality was the priority concern because our homes are our safe haven. And if you have trouble being out in the world where there's lots of issues that are impacting your health, it, your home can be what we call the safe haven. Uh, so indoor air quality was my priority concern, and I was specifying air purification systems and remediation of air quality problems at the time when there were very few resources. In fact, the first HEPA filter, which was designed, I believe, uh, and produced by NASA to create safe rooms for their astronauts and creating the machinery that was going into space, someone found a mobile unit for me that was a HEPA uh, unbelievably um, monstrous piece of machinery that uh, was in my apartment for a long time, and it did help me. So how were you trying, or what did you do to get your message out? 
What was your goal? So my main goal was to educate people on the subject of indoor air quality and the toxins that were in the environment. I participated in the first Los Angeles Echo Expo and became a speaker and a proponent for indoor air quality you know, issues and was invited by the American Institute of Architects in 1994 to speak at their Los Angeles conference. And I spoke on multiple chemical sensitivity. I was speaking to architects and designers and they had, from what I could see, no idea of what I was talking about. They were not, on some conscious level, not aware that the products and materials that they were specifying that was out there for all of us to use were filled with formaldehyde, carbon monoxide, ammonia mold, hydrocarbons, carbon tetrachloride, benzene, dioxins, all kinds of things that were being, that were emitting to the environment in what we used to call sick building syndrome. After that talk, I got a tremendous response because people were concerned and interested in learning about this situation. So I began also going to organizations that, like the ASID, which is American Society of Interior Designers. I went to talk at different conferences just to introduce the concept that design has a consequence, interior design, and the interior environment is all critical. Again, indoor air quality, the most important issue here. Back in the 1980s, the Environmental Protection Agency said that indoor air quality can be 100 times more toxic than outside air. That's probably greater now than it was then. Recently, in fact, I think last month, according to the World Health Organization, one in four deaths are related to living and working in a toxic environment. Air pollution is the greatest contributor to this risk. That's why when I discovered EnviroCleanse products, in particular their mobile air purifier unit that I'm using right now, it was a significant and critical improvement and difference than anything else that I had been exposed to or had been using for the last 25 or more years. And so that, that's why I'm happy to, to you know, talk to people and specify EnviroCleanse products as well as their uh, air cartridge that goes into the HVAC unit and the portable unit, which, which I use and has helped. So actually, it's the first indoor air purifying material or product that I have used that has had significant, has made significant help in my environment and in my health. And that is more than important to me. So where do you see the future of indoor air quality treatment going? And does this impact what you suggest to the folks you're working with? Well, as I just said, the... World Health Organization stating that one in four deaths are related to living in and working in a toxic environment. I think we have sort of turned the corner on misinformation and getting information so that the information is out there, 
there are a, quite a few, a, quite a number of systems and products out there that talk about indoor air quality, that manufacture purifiers. However, when I look at them and I review them as a product that I might want to refer my clients to, I am very disheartened because most of them are using materials that in and of themselves are made from hydrocarbons, plastic, and are off-gassing and emitting toxic chemicals into the environment that they are purportedly designed to remediate. One of the differences, if not extraordinary differences, is that, that the EnviroCleanse mobile air unit that I'm working with right now is all metal. There are no off-gassing components in there. In fact, I am so impressed with the fact that Viracleanse air cartridges are a blend of specially made earth-friendly minerals using natural materials, working with nature uh, as opposed to against nature is critical here. I come from an awareness and an instinct and I think a natural knowing that the further we move away from the natural environment, the bigger the problems are. And the closer we get back to the natural environment, the, the healthier we're going to become. We have moved so far away, and I know that that would be, in, I guess in my vocabulary, an a unintended consequence of chemicalization of our total environment. People are aware that all your clothing, your furnishings, your construction materials, your heating and cooling systems, stoves, furnitures, water heaters, paint, sealants, almost everything that's manufactured out there has a you know, foundation from, of chemicals, cosmetics. All these things are not only polluting the environment, they're polluting you. They're polluting, they're going into your skin. Uh, that's the ingredients of the commercial shampoos and deodorants and things like that out there. You know, we're horrified. The same thing with foods. I would attribute one of the reasons I was able to recover as much of my health as I was able to was because I had been, since I was in my mid-20s, late-20s, eating an organically organic diet as much as was available at the time, eating whole foods, you know, natural foods, and eating a whole orange instead of orange juice. So that's how I got into the nutrition part of it. And I would say that most of my recovery was due to the fact that I had a good foundation, a good health foundation, and I wasn't compromised. Food that we eat today, is, we know, are full of, of chemicals or full of antibiotics, hormones, steroids, all things that degrade our natural you know, health and, and immune system. So I would say to people who have multiple chemical sensitivity or are interested in keeping their good health and improving their health, please don't buy processed food. Buy as much organic and natural whole foods as possible. Food is medicine. Good or more specifically, real food is key to a healthy lifestyle. And really, it is just one layer of a pretty complex lifestyle for people dealing with MCS. 
as you mentioned, they have to think about all the things that they are coming into contact with and exposing themselves to every day. Now, Audrey, for our listeners not really familiar with the particulars of MCS or multiple chemical sensitivity, would you be willing to share what the definition means or, or what it means to you? I would like to say that there is a new definition for multiple chemical sensitivity that I really think is much better than what has been out there. Multiple chemical sensitivity has been described since the 1990s when it was declared a disability by the Americans for Disability Act, the ADA. The description at that time was environmental illness, a chemical injury, etc. But the major description was a person had to be exposed to a single gross exposure of a chemical or an accumulation of exposures to toxic chemicals that can create an overload to the immune system, weaken the threshold level of tolerance, and at that point it would be called a chemical injury. And that, somewhere in there, is the definition of MCS. However, after that, I discovered someone else had been talking about this for a long time, and I preferred this. It is a toxic response syndrome. That is another term for this situation. The newest term for this situation is called toxicant-induced loss of tolerance. Dr. Claudia Miller, who is a major health researcher and expert in this field out of the University of Texas School of Medicine in San Antonio, has coined this term, toxicant-induced loss of tolerance, or TILT. The reason I want to mention that is, is to take the onus and the responsibility off ourselves and individuals out there who have problems with this, because it is not our fault. We are not responsible for what has happened. Nature did not design our human bodies to take on all these chemicals and the assault of all these chemicals. Nature did not design our body, as I said, to be okay with absorbing toxic chemicals that are now so prevalent in our physical environments and our food, our clothing, our furnishings. All manufactured products have levels of toxic chemicals that we are exposed to at all times. And that's why toxic response syndrome or toxicant-induced loss of tolerance takes the onus and the responsibility off the individual. You are not at fault. And what are some of your key recommendations or understandings that you try to pass on to people dealing with chemical sensitivities? Or more specifically, especially those that are just discovering that this might be something that they're having to deal with? Well, I I feel this very personally, but I want to also tell people who are challenged and who are just experiencing health issues and challenges that could be related to the fact that they're living in a toxic environment and they're not aware that, that these plastics that are coming out of our computers, our cell phones, all the, all the mechanical devices, everything that we use are emitting these toxins. So some people will, can have an overload or a threshold level that pushes them into a serious situation. It's just that it's not diagnosed and it's not, it's not understood 
in the general medical or mainstream community, it's very important, again, that people come from understanding and knowing which materials and products out there are off-gassing and which are toxic. And I have some resources that I can give people. Do you mind sharing a few of those with our listeners now? One of the main organizations that is a provider of research in this area is the Environmental Working Group. It's a nonprofit research organization that specializes in research and advocacy in the areas of toxic chemicals. They provide consumer guides, guides to healthy cleaning, guides to food, cosmetics, skincare. They basically want to empower people to make healthy choices. And they have quite a few resource lists. They can be found at ewg.org, environmentalworkinggroup.org. Also, saferchemicals.org, which is saferchemicals.org, sometimes listed as Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, is actually a grassroots organization started by mothers quite a few years ago who were so concerned about what was happening to their children, uh, that they're an advocacy group out there that also provides tremendous amount of, uh, of information. Last but not least is Deborah Lindad, uh, and her website is DebraLindad.com. She has the largest website on toxic-free living and is internationally recognized as a consumer advocate and consultant. Deborah has written I don't know how many books on the subject, and her website provides resources that you can go to for anything, as well as you can call her, and she can help you personally be a, you know, consult with you on your specific issues. And, of course, EnviroCleanse is a big, gigantic resource that I refer people to. Give me one more, GreenAmerica.org. It's a national green pages lists lists products and services in the a total range going from health to uh, consulting groups and it, it covers all the different organizations and companies in the United States that meet their high stringent requirements for being green and sustainable. And Ecology by Design, my organization or my company, has been participating with them since, I think, I don't know, the mid-1990s. I just want people to be informed and to be educated and also to know that being proactive and not living in fear and doing what I always say to myself, Audrey, act as if. Act as if I am fine and healthy and I can move more freely and carefully in the world without, without the fear. Audrey, you're very passionate about MCS and helping people afflicted with it, and I want to thank you for joining us today. How can our listeners get into contact with you? Okay, Kyle, thank you so much for the opportunity, for giving me the opportunity to share what I know and have learned about um, this very important subject, and it's really all about empowering people 
to be their own advocate. If people want to reach me, they can reach me through my website, Ecology by Design at DSLExtreme.com, and I'd be happy to talk with them and refer them to the appropriate resource if that, if that is necessary. That was Audrey Hoodkiss from Ecology by Design. She has several great points, but I do want to touch upon one of those in particular here before we close today. Chemical pollutants are all around us, and we can make better choices to minimize exposure to potentially harmful compounds, specifically those things that we consume and use. But it is especially challenging to control what we breathe. We have to breathe. So when we are put in environments with a broad range of environmental or chemical pollutants, taking steps such as using proper air filtration and chemical absorptive neutralization products needs to go beyond just looking at the surface claims. We need to look at how that is going to be achieved. I mean, you don't want to be using an air cleaner that removes odors via a process that's actually releasing chemicals byproducts to the environment. Well, that's all the time that we have for the show today. Thank you for listening, and please remember, if you have any questions, you may submit them through our website, which is envirocleanse.com. Let me spell that for you. That is E-N-V-I-R-O-K-L-E-N-Z.com. You can also reach us by phone here in the United States at 239-330-9650, Monday to Friday, typically from 8 to 5 Eastern. You can also send us an email at cussserve at envirocleanse.com. That is C-U-S-T-S-E-R-V at envirocleanse.com. Until next time, I'm Kyle, and this was Let's Talk Indoor Air Quality. <laughs>